Welcome to Ten Talks. I'm Stacy, and I'm here today with Ash May. Hello. Ash May has been a friend and teacher and artist in the community. You may have heard about her, read some of her stuff, seen her artwork. And we're having her on as she is about to release her new book. Can you tell us about what it's called and like about, you know, what the topic, all those things? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me here. I feel like we yeah. always have such a good time. We like do. Lots of, <laughs> lots of giggling. Yeah. So I grew up in Provo and went to BYU, got my undergrad degree in painting and my graduate degree in creative writing and have since kind of followed a path trying to do work that combines both of those. And I've founded with one of my friends in my graduate program, a company called Mind to Tell, which teaches people to write their own story for themselves. We've been going for about four years and we've had probably 500 students come through our classes. And it's been a really, really beautiful experience to see people writing and taking themselves seriously. As a writer, I've written two books previously. The first one, A Hundred Birds Taught Me to Fly, published through the Maxwell Institute at BYU, which was a good experience for the most part, and was primarily about my personal experience as, I would say as a Mormon, but as someone who was just experiencing and processing spirituality within a Mormon context. Mm -hmm. And so this book in some ways is obviously a departure from that because it's a clear break from that context, but in many ways doesn't feel that different. It's been useful to see like, oh, spirituality was not the thing that left. It was the context and kind of rules and obligations under which I experienced that, that I've stepped away from. And that's what a lot of the book is about, is exploring what that looks like, what it feels like to leave an institution and a place that created my entire worldview and self-understanding. So. And your second book was about your experience getting a diagnosis of MS? Yes. So I published that first one in 2016. The second one came out in 2019. And it's a really small book. I and mean, it was written immediately after an unexpected diagnosis of MS. And it kind of just explored that time that comes immediately after a big change in life and the way the world kind of shifts and shows up for you and the way you see things differently. So yeah, it's not so much about MS because I didn't know anything about MS at the time I was diagnosed or very little. So it's more about like, yeah, that time of unexpected change. And the book that I am currently getting ready to release, I'm finishing up the final edits on, is called Letters to a Leaving Mormon. I really connected with your work during the pandemic, actually, because mm. you were having these courses, or actually, I guess, just exploratory classes, where people had the opportunity to write prayers, mm. and kind of write down what was heavy on your heart and mind, and 
turn something really dark into something hopeful or just find an outlet to express. It doesn't even have to be hopeful, but just writing down what your hope is maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that we connected and, and many people like in a time that was (laughs) definitely very removed from connection and community. Yeah. Those prayer sessions were honestly saving graces for us who were able to facilitate them. And I think for a lot of the people who participated, yeah. And I think it's just such a good example of why the act and the process of writing is pretty vital for a strong, thriving community. Yeah. And then I got your course writing a story about your body mm. or what is, what is writing the, the body, yeah. writing the body. And like, I remember talking to you about just like, that seemed so overwhelming to me. And mm. you were like, you don't have to write your body's entire story. You just like pick <laughs> one thing and yep. just like write about it. And I think for people who are like slow to write or to, you know, just launch a writing practice, mm-hmm. I think they probably have the same thing in common where you just get overwhelmed. Yeah, for sure. And so the idea of writing about the body for me narrowed it down, but then it didn't because like my body's my life and mm-hmm. I th- I think everybody's body is their life. And so again, I had to hear your wise advice, instruction of like, just choose one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think hopefully our intent in that writing the body course was that idea. And and I see so many people come at writing in this way of feeling like they need to take the most epic story. And it feels like jumping into the deep end of a pool where you feel like, well, I'm going to write about body image through all the ages and like <laughs> and forever into the future and and that just yes that is not fun it's overwhelming it really is like jumping into the deep end of a pool before you are even ready mm-hmm. and so what i always tell students and people who are starting out with writing is start at the shallowest end and walk in slowly and as you are going you are only writing about what you can touch and see, and what you know personally, what do you have ownership of? And so in something like writing about the body, one of our students, she, I think she's about 75. And the entire course, she ended up writing about her uterus, which she had had a hysterectomy probably 25 years prior. Mm. But she wrote all of these beautiful essays about her uterus, which was what needed to be. And in writing about that very small thing and entering through that small avenue, walking in on the shallow end, she eventually did swim out to the deep end and was able to talk about much larger sweeping issues that were relatable to all of us. But her only entry point to that was writing about one simple small thing that she had full access to. Wow. And it ended up being like, there are decades between her and I, and I haven't had a hysterectomy, and I did not have the same stories that she did about her uterus. But it still, her writing was so moving and so changing because she wrote about what she knew and had ownership of. And then it gave me permission to be able to say, 
oh, I also have this to bring to the table. Yeah, and I think you decided to start writing and taking yourself seriously, and you had to get through this thing that I think a lot of people have to overcome, and that's like imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have to know everything about what you're doing to start, and like, you can assist someone on a journey of writing a story without like knowing their experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think we are doing ourselves a disservice if we don't allow ourselves to be taken seriously until like if when we put stipulations and particular expectations of I cannot do this thing until that's usually the time to step back and say, is that actually true? Mm-hmm. Is that like, what is my inner critic trying to protect me from and in insisting that I can't do something until, and oftentimes you'll find your inner critic is just, panicked for you and is trying to (laughs) like a nice part of yourself that's (laughs) like (laughs) yeah actually the other day I was talking about the inner critic with my high school students and we did a visualization where they actually met up with their inner critic and one of these sweet kids said that he he was so surprised to see when he met his inner critic they were like at a coffee date with their inner critic (laughs) and he said when my inner critic walked in he was he looked exactly like me but his hair was uncombed and he was wearing a super ring suit and he just seemed really frazzled <laughs> like, but yeah that seems fair like, and he said he wasn't mad he just seemed so frazzled and he said and when I was talking to him like he just was nervous about me doing things mm-hmm. and I I love that image because it's this like 14 year old boy who has this inner critic he's wearing a wrinkly old suit um but I think yeah like a lot of our inner critics are just like these somewhat frazzled parts of ourselves are like, please don't embarrass me. Yeah. <laughs> please don't. And I think forming that relationship and saying, listen, I understand that you're nervous. That's fine. But I'm going to do this thing and I'm not going to wait until in order to do it. Because we do all have things that we have ownership of. Like when I think about like, I get to touch and see the plants that are in my backyard in a way that nobody else has access to. Mm. And that's a starting place. Like that is something that I can write about. It does not mean that I need to know about all the flora and fauna in my state in order to do that. It doesn't even mean that I need to know the names of the plants or like, I, I don't need to be a professional botanist in order to write about what I witness and see in my own backyard. And that, it doesn't make it less valid or real to I do it in that, that way. Yeah. I love thinking about things in like in order for me, in order to change my mind or like build a new thought pathway, I have to have something symbolic mm-hmm. that doesn't feel personal. Mm. Like, cause even sometimes like, like in the writing the body, the course, it felt a little too personal. Mm. Like my inner critic was so in my face, Mm. but like this idea of like, well, no one can really see through my eyes, Mm -hmm. my witnessing of like my own backyard that just clicked something. I just, I guess I just had Mm. an aha moment because sometimes my inner critic is so tricky and Mm -hmm. like careful that I can even talk myself out of like something that 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think another exercise that I do with writing students quite a bit is like, say you make a list of your day, just a chronological list of what happened when you woke up, what are the things that you did? And you look at that list and you think, wow, my life is really boring and normal. And how could I possibly ever write anything about this? And then you kind of peel back that list and you look behind what it is. So like when you were making breakfast, did you happen to look out the window and see a neighbor walking by? And what did you think? What did you notice? What information do you bring to that? So instead of writing about, I made breakfast, I made eggs and toast, you kind of peel that back and say, while I was making breakfast, I had this thought or I saw this thing or there was like such a brief moment. And I think so much of our writing, some of the most valuable writing comes from like these these momentary sparks that aren't even almost perceptible or they wouldn't fit into your chronological daily list it's Mm -hmm. like this second that passes in between those and for me that's where most of my writing lives and comes from is not necessarily what people would witness me doing but when I stop long enough and sort of pay attention to what I have witnessed and what I only I have ownership of yeah I love 90s country. (laughs) I grew up on it. And I think there's a real storytelling quality about it. And I think a lot of 90s country music does. But one of my favorite country song is called Black Coffee. But I just always think of the first verse because it's exactly what you're saying. Just somebody making like a mundane breakfast. And out of it comes this like one of my favorite country songs. (laughs) But the first part of it is black coffee, blue morning, toast is burning and the rain keeps pouring. Bad feeling that I'm losing you. Black coffee, green envy, jealous of the way that you used to love me. Bad feeling I'm losing you. And I, I don't know why I just love that. Like, yeah, you get such imagery because you know those mornings when you're like, okay, just pour the coffee, the rain, and I'm going into this like sad, lonely place inside of me and thoughtful place. Yeah, yeah and just and to see those two juxtaposed, mm-hmm. um, that like there is something living behind the burning toast. Like, yeah, there's. There's, it's not just like a mundane thing. There's so much happening inside of that moment. Mm-hmm. And I think I see a lot of people discount their own stories and say, like, what could I possibly write about? Like, I, because we often give a lot of credence to, and in some ways, as we should, to stories that are epic. And, but then mm-hmm. it, it makes us wonder, well, like my life isn't epic. What could I ever say that could add value to this community of writing? And I always want people to push back on that notion. Yeah. So I've been reading Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, and I talk about it all the time. (laughs) Everybody's tired of it. I know I get it. But she talks about how Comparison is something that we literally, the brain will do it. If there's someone across from you, you're going to compare. Mm. And you can't stop it because it's inevitable. So what are you going to do with that comparison? But I feel like 
social media kind of robbed me of telling my story mm. because how could I ever tell a better story? Mm. And I don't have to tell a better story, but I'm constantly comparing myself to all these voices yeah. and like, wow, their life is incredible. They're doing amazing things. My life is shit. I have nothing going on. I have no ideas. But you do have a dog with purple ears. <laughs> I do have a dog with purple ears. So there's that. <laughs> but also I know I know you and I would never think like I almost don't even think about your day-to-day schedule. I know. Like I don't does, care yeah. about it because I know <laughs> Stacy is a fascinating, fun, thoughtful, intelligent person. And that's what I like, I don't care. I wouldn't need to you to write a story about your daily events to me. I would want you to write a story about what you thought about while you were doing those daily events or like what little moments connected up to mm-hmm. create your thoughts. So, yeah, that's uh, this is beautiful. And Okay, so the point of tent talks, I feel like, is to have this like mind body connection because we're so disconnected. And like one of the first things that is my go to or that I think of to connect mind and body is writing. Mm. And when I get into a place where I need to do some heavy processing, I just write cursive and I just try to make it flowy and almost. Like, so I can't even go back and read it if I wanted to, so that I know that I can just say whatever I need to say. Mm. But how do you feel like writing has done that for you? Just like connecting mind, body, and being maybe processing? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing that's coming to mind that I've done and that we've had students do, and this is specifically about the body, is doing some writing exercises in the voice of a body part. Oh. So like I've written, it was at the time when I was like feeling not great about my body image that I was just struggling and feeling like, oh my gosh, I keep gaining weight and what's happening. And I did this exercise and I wrote an essay from the point of view of my stomach. And afterwards I felt like, oh, I'm sorry, stomach. That I've been rude. I see that you've been doing exactly what you're supposed to do and that you're working hard and that it is hard to have somebody up top, me, like <laughs> saying rude things about you. So that's been an exercise that I think has been really useful for me and for a lot of people is just to, obviously we're not stepping outside of ourselves, but step down from our head. Yeah. I always and, like to say, take the elevator ride from your head down to... Mm-hmm your heart or a part of your body, I guess, in this case. Yeah. And, and I mean, and it seems funny, like what if you were to write an essay or a poem or a story in the voice of your feet? You know what? I, we just had a, like a telepathic moment because I was just (laughs) thinking about like my feet, they would want to write their story. I mean, and they would, and it's something that we definitely discount quite a bit, Mm -hmm. but I think it's so important to because I think our brain and I see this writing in writing a lot and I always push people to not do this is we think okay I had this experience I know exactly what it means and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna teach people about it through my writing like I'm gonna tell them hardcore like this lesson that I learned and it's so important 
And when people come to the writing with a preconceived notion about what it needs to mean, the writing is shit. (laughs) It's so bad. It's so bad. And so I think a big part of the process of writing for me is to get in a space that is vulnerable and willing enough to give myself permission to be completely surprised by what shows up. And maybe even most particularly in the stories that I think I know what they mean. Yeah. Because like, okay, so Janet Connor is teaching a writing course called like writing down your soul. And uh, I've just followed her as an author, but she has reached this level of like, surrendering to the truth that like the story surrenders in you, you surrender to the story kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So it's like, your head gets in the way of and and your expectations, they get in the way of what's really trying to come through. Because just as you surrender to your story, it frees you up. It frees a certain part of you to just let it be told. And when you get into this like teaching moment or I don't know. Yeah. Like it's going to be for everybody else. Yep. And when you think you know the moral of the story, I would really check yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like if you think you know the moral of the story before you've written the story, you probably don't. Or if you do, prepare to write something that makes you mad. <laughs> like it will not be fun. <laughs> um, and I think, I don't know how much we want to talk about the book that's coming up, but for me, a huge part of working through that process both in my life and in my writing life had to do with letting go of kind of the boundaries and expectations that religion had given me Mm. to say like, this will always be the correct answer to this story. Yeah. This will always be the end that you come to. This is where you're trying to get to. And so for me that like living my life in that way became quite untenable and in part writing this book, Letters to a Leaving Mormon, is a lot about that process of saying, I actually don't know anymore. I don't mm. I don't know what the end goal is. Mm. I don't know what the expectation is. I am just writing into this space, and the process is what is most valuable to me. Um, and uh, and allowing myself to kind of enter these portals of the unknown and just be there has been really healing and useful because we see, I mean, we see it in all sorts of not just religious institutions, but like capitalistic institutions, social media, like there is a certain end that we are kind of expected to come to. Sure. And I think part of our job is to be subversive and push on those and say, "Mm, I'm actually not going to take what's given. Like I'm much more interested in, in living in this space that is not mired in rules already. Well, if we already know what the end goal is, or if, you know, if we're certain on, things, then there's a limitation in that. And there's also no tension in that. Mm -hmm. And what makes great art is tension. Mm -hmm. 
what makes critical thinking is tension. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, if you think about many spiritual stories that we grow up hearing, whether in the Bible or like inside of Mormonism, that's my tradition. So that's what I know best is often when you're told a story where there is some piece of tension, it's immediately cut out underneath it because in your mind, you know, Oh, it doesn't matter what happens in the middle because I know that this person is going to ultimately end up with faith in Christ and the atonement and like stick inside the Mormon church and Mm -hmm. therefore be happy. Mm -hmm. And so it almost cuts off whatever happens before that, because why does it matter if we already know where they're going to end up? And that to me is such a huge disservice. Danielle Laporte, another author Mm -hmm. that I follow, she described faith to me and like the unknown in a way that I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget because it's something I sit with every day. And it's this idea that if we already know the ending, then we, we don't really get to, we don't have that tension that creates the try. Because if, for example, you believe something will happen, but you don't know for sure, you still try. Mm. But if you know something will happen for sure, then you don't really have to try that hard because it's like inevitable. Yeah. So you can kind of just live your life, you know, however. But when when you hope for something and you believe it will happen, but you're not sure, you put forth an honest effort because you're going to do everything you can to make that become a reality. So it's almost like a co-creative process. Mm. So I really love that challenge that she presents of like hope, faith. Those are all active tenets because you actually don't know. Mm. You're just believing the best or having faith in the best, but, but you're trying in the, in the meantime to make that become the reality. Yeah. For me, that's why writing is such a beautiful and co-creative, exciting process is because you are entering into that space of like, I hope that I figure out something in venturing out on this journey to write about this experience. I don't know what that thing is yet, but I have a belief that there's something there. And following the different paths through writing and articulating and like just letting what is inside your body kind of move through language. It is like the most vibrant, vital parts of my life live inside of that Mm. process of writing. And that doesn't mean for other people, it might be through dance or it might be through art or it might be through another process, but yeah, really leaning into this idea that I hope there is something there and I'm going to enter into this space and see what it is, but I'm not sure what's there yet, I think is why we're here in many ways. I think that's so beautiful. And I'm really excited for you to share some excerpts of your upcoming book. And we're going to do that in part two. Perfect. So stay tuned. Okay. See you next week.